1: Everyone needs insurance, but what does the process look like for small carriers and owner operators? They often are stuck paying higher premiums due to their size and how long they've been in operation. Well, it's a big deal since nuclear verdicts, low freight rates, and a highly competitive business environment means that one false step could lead to financial woes. But, What does the insurance landscape look like for small carriers and owner operators? And are there things to watch out for when a carrier who's picking an insurance may look a little sketchy? Well, folks, it's your lucky day because we're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Welcome to Loaded and Rolling, I'm your host, Thomas Watson. Now, I remember back in the day of building a carrier from scratch and learning how trucking insurance works. Fun times, tell me about it. Uh, but when I was at a massive enterprise carrier of over 5,000 trucks, they frequently were self-insured. We're talking about like a team of claims adjusters, agents, and legal teams dedicated to keeping costs down. Well, the reason is of course, because mega carriers are frequently self-insured. You can't just go to progressive and find it. And so, when you're starting with a fleet of like five trucks, that's when the landscape becomes completely different. Oftentimes, using insurance companies you might be more familiar with are more of the core. You've probably heard them on a Super Bowl commercial. We're talking like your, your All States, your Progressives, your Geicos, and you're normally familiar with them for like home and boat insurance, but they actually insure trucks. And so, it's an important distinction to know because as a carrier grows, the companies that are willing to insure them will change. And sometimes it's a little bit hard to look out for. As we're waiting for our guest to hop in, I'm gonna tell you about how it first works. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with how the industry works, um, you know typically trucking, we, we usually talk a lot about the rates, we talk about the business environment, they're buying trucks, but the insurance component it's really, really fascinating because uh, when we started out, I remember we had one or two trucks, and we went with Progressive. Progressive actually does truck insurance for small carriers. And so the the funniest part was as the fleet grew, I think when we reached like ten or fifteen trucks, it got to a point where Progressive was like, "Hey, uh, you're you're going to have to find another insurer." And I'm thinking to myself, "Why? You know, you're you insure trucking companies." Well, it turns out that Insurers will only insure trucking companies based on their profile. And so there's a certain risk profile, almost like a Goldilocks zone, where if you're uh, within a certain number of trucks, the insurance company is statistically thinking, well, if you get in an accident, what's my average payout? Uh, What if there's a fatality? You know, we're talking about nuclear verdicts, uh, instance, of course, uh, like even in company earnings like Werner, we'll be talking about it. And so it's really fascinating just to, to to think about because that was the one thing that struck out to me was just uh, getting kicked out of an insurance and having to find another one. So we ended up going with Reliance Partners and then they found another policy. And so it's very fascinating because no one really thinks about what kind of insurance you need. Uh, typically, you know, cargo insurance, you have your tractor and trailer insurance. Are you going to be scheduled? Uh, are you going to be all autos? Because if you have it to where you have certain VINs that are scheduled, you're gonna pay a certain rate versus if you do something like all autos. And so freight brokers will know this because when you're filling out a new carrier packet, uh, the, the compliance department's like, hey, uh, what's the VIN on this truck? This is a new vehicle, is it scheduled? And so you'll, you'll have to determine as a carrier which one to buy. Another fun factoid on that is going to be, let's say you're a small carrier and you're growing, but you can't buy new trucks. Maybe you don't have the money to just go to a Peterbilt or uh, you know a Freightliner dealership and, and get access to a new class eight. And so looking at companies like Penske and uh, Ryder who do leasings and rentals, you can run into an interesting scenario because when I talked earlier about your scheduled autos, that means your VIN is tied into an account. So if you're in a brokerage database, you could have a situation where you inadvertently get flagged because maybe another small carrier when they filled out the carrier packet was using the same truck that you're now renting. So there's a fun factoid when uh, things like uh, Carrier 411, uh, Carrier Assure, a lot of these third-party monitoring ones can flag a carrier that uses uh, Penske trucks or others just because the the VIN numbers are popping up in the system. So that opens up a whole new can of worms where now I'm having to call and say, hey, look, this is my truck. I'm not double brokering. And uh you know we're we're gonna end up going from there. So we're gonna see if we have our guests on now introducing our guest of course, uh joining me to talk about what we should be looking at for insurance. This guy's the expert. I'm just the guy on the the tail end having to deal with scheduled autos. How small carriers and owner operate, navigate, uh, and deal with the insurance question. We're going to be welcoming in Steven Ritzler. He is the team lead of trucking and logistics at Cover Wallet. Now, Cover Wallet, if you don't know, they help businesses understand, buy, and manage insurance. And it can be very useful because it's a very Byzantine like process. It's a super big pain in the neck. Steven, let's see if we can hear you come through. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, sir. How are we doing today?
1: Ah, doing well, scorching in the heat of Tennessee. It is of course, humid season, so we're surviving, but super excited to have you on the show and be able to talk about the insurance thing. I did ramble a little bit about my experiences, but being actually uh, a person who works directly with carriers, what does the process look like if I get two or three trucks, I got my MC, now I wanna look at insurance. How does this work for the person who's not as familiar?
0: Man, that's a great question. Assuming you've already got the trucks off the dealership lot, the next step is going to be getting a peek at your licensing and insurance requirements,
1: Tom. And getting, getting kind of like figuring out the, I'm assuming if it's like Bobtail or your cargo ones, or is it even the truck insurance? Do they typically do all of that at once or is it you work on one and then the other?
0: Well, that's, that's a great question. Well, in, in this example that you're giving, if you've got your three trucks and you have your own MC, then assuming you've got the trucks where you're able to take delivery of them you're no longer worrying about competing with other owner operators or larger fleets for the equipment then it's a question of next becoming compliant with the state and federal government and after you get that box checked off then we're going to start thinking about customers and what their requirements are going to be but when it comes to federal oversight of insurance requirements. Every single motor carrier in the United States has a licensing and insurance page on their SAFER page, their safety and fitness electronic records page on the DOT website. Do you talk about that on your show at
1: all, Tom? We do every once in a while. I haven't, here's what's fun. We talk about the SAFER. I remember looking up carriers as a broker on SAFER. But when you are a carrier, when I worked at a mega carrier, it very rarely didn't come up because it was more like an insurance or compliance. It was like three departments down hidden in the belly of the building somewhere.
0: That's right. Yes. It's it's a useful tool for insurance people, because when we look at your page, we know what the government is asking of you in terms of your insurance limit. But you can also learn who a motor carrier is currently doing business with for an insurance provider. And when their policy expiration and effective dates are. So if you are one of these individuals, you've got your three trucks and you don't know where to start looking, a nice place to think to start might be someone, you know, in the industry with a similar profile might be to look at their licensing and insurance page and see who represents them.
1: And I think this kind of leads into a great example. I talked to you a little bit earlier about a former professional athlete. They started their own company. They leased on their drivers. And I think that brings a great question when you're leasing and you're bringing in other carriers. Like, uh, how do folks who start a company and bring in other leasing carriers with uh, with with other MCs, what what did that situation kind of look like? Because that's, that's something we see very common, but not a lot of people talk about it in terms of what it looks like from a carrier standpoint in an insurance one.
0: Well, if you have... That scenario, let's say you have your own authority and you have entrepreneurs looking to join forces with you, or if you want to help them get their show started, you have the ability to set up a lease agreement, which shouldn't be foreign to any owner operator out there driving for a major fleet. You know, you're usually under a lease agreement, which gives you access to their authority and their loads. And that's exactly what you would do. You'd either visit with your attorney or another motor carrier compliance professional to draw up one of these agreements, they should be seven or eight pages long. And one of these agreements would give an owner operator who doesn't have their authority or doesn't have it active yet, the ability to get, you know, in a truck and start doing some work under someone who's already made that big down payment on their cargo insurance.
1: And I'm assuming as well, a good strategy for them is they'll also keep their own MC and then they're going to age it. That's a great topic, I think, aging your MC that we don't hear a lot about. And from an insurance standpoint, it's just equally as important, right? Because it can in fact impact your rates.
0: Oh, absolutely it can. And you know, from an insurance standpoint, we want people to be well covered, but we also don't like bad business as much as anyone, right? So if you're someone who knows full well, that you're going to be parking your truck for any length of time or you're only going to be using your uh, you're only going to be using it for work under someone else's authority while you let your MC age. It's entirely possible to purchase insurance that has only your minimum requirements met. I'm talking like between 300 and 750,000 in liability. instead of buying your million dollar policy with your unlimited radius and your comp and collision up on it, And that could be a savings of between, you know, 30 and sometimes 50 percent on what you're paying in your premiums, down payment and monthly. And to your point, there's a lot of players in the space that have had their uh, had their lunch money eaten these past three years, putting new owner ops on jobs who don't have enough experience yet to know what they're working with. So the skepticism for new authorities is higher now than it ever has been in my experience in, in trucking. And for folks that don't have authority for at least six months, yeah, it's going to be a hard, hard thing to find someone who's
1: willing to give you loads. That brings up a great point because that was something that coming from a large carrier to a small carrier and becoming a freight broker, I started hearing about the age of your authority and even the number. Like if you had a five digit operating authority versus a six digit, the thought process was brokers would take you more seriously. Let's say that I don't want to age mine, and I've got my friend Bob who has a five digit operating authority. And I'm thinking, man, I, if I can just buy Bob's authority, he's no longer going to use it. He'll sell it to me. Does that give me a leg up on insurance and brokers, or do I still have to, once I buy it, have to deal with the same aging question?
0: Well, if we can look at it from one angle and one angle only being the age, then yes, that would solve that problem. But it begs a lot of other questions. So, In a perfect world this individual is looking to offload their motor carrier authority is doing it for the best of reasons and the best one i can think of is probably retirement but in the real world that you and i live in today tom you've got a lot of folks that are looking to get away from mc numbers because they're looking to get away from history and and those are what we call chameleon carriers and And that can be an ugly situation. So if if I was an entrepreneur in today's marketplace and I had an acquisition offer on the table, I would be really, really thoroughly pressing my due diligence to make sure there was nothing as far as an insurance loss, an outstanding debt obligation, or an out-of-service inspection history that they're trying to outrun by getting rid of it. Because that's going to be your problem now.
1: I didn't think about that because that's one thing I noticed with double brokering schemes is they may hold or they'll just buy another MC and that's the chameleon aspect. Uh, When when they're trying to even get insurance and let's say you're looking to verify and you're looking to be like, look for chameleon care. Are there any telltale signs that can kind of pinpoint, Hey, this person may have just flipped an MC and it turns out that it could be someone who's not who they originally were.
0: Well, There's a few different ways to find it. It's a passion that underwriters have, and because it is a passion of theirs and they have so much data to use, it's very easy with these quoting systems we use today for an insurance carrier company to pick up a VIN number or an address or a birthday that matches a policy they had just like it that had an unfavorable loss exposure, unfavorable underwriting history, for example. So... As far as telltale signs go, it's it's the real obvious blinding flashes. If you see someone's uh, someone's authority history has 100% out of service, you know, they're not even using their logbooks, et cetera, and their phone number matches the phone number on the DOT page of the person you're talking to, the chances that it's the same person are probably pretty high.
1: I'm curious because you talked about this, I just thought about this. If I, let's say I bought an older MC, I didn't do my due diligence and it turns out it did have out of services and it did have a few claims. That means that once I buy it, I inherit that negative mark, right?
0: Exactly right. You inherit that company's reputation. So when you go to do business in the marketplace with insurance providers, you better have a really compelling story to tell about what you learned about their bad practices and how you have aggressively addressed them and put that together with your broker in a cover letter when you're applying for insurance. Depending on the size of the fleet, that may be an argument they're willing to hear. But if it's one or two trucks, they're gonna go pretty quantitatively no based on just history and history alone.
1: And if I'm an underwriter, I'm assuming a big red flag would be, uh, we hear about Glendale, California as a hotbed of, uh, of double brokering. The old joke, the Glendale Mafia, where they rotate motor carrier or even brokerage numbers. Um, I'm assuming that's an instance where, let's say I have like a person applying for insurance, I'm an underwriter, and they were out of North Carolina. All their inspections were between Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And now all of a sudden they're asking for a policy out of California. Would that be a telltale sign of a chameleon carrier?
0: Mm. And not necessarily a chameleon carrier, but it does—it is going to bag a lot of questions, and those are questions worth asking, and that do need to be answered. Uh, we we do quite a lot of business with entrepreneurs that are out of Florida, and as you, I'm sure know, insurance premiums across the board in Florida are 200% of what they were just a few years ago, and when you see. Garaging statements made on insurance policies that don't pass the common sense test. There's usually a price motive. So it would be more of a question of how well can we back up this underwriting than it would be a question of what are they trying to hide. Typically, you have entrepreneurs savvy enough when they do business in multiple states that they're able to put together an explanation as to why they might be domiciling in a state with lower insurance premiums. But underwriters are going to really, really hold your feet to the fire in any of those situations. So it's absolutely critical that you document any statement you make on your insurance. But no, we're getting on a tangent here. I haven't seen a lot of uh, chameleons in California, thankfully.
1: <laughs> it's too hot for them. <laughs> Speaking of homework, doing your homework for an insurance writer, I get a lot of questions from small cares and owner operators about policy Uh, What makes a good insurance policy? I know it's kind of a broad question, but are there any specific tent poles, an owner operator who's either new or looking to re-up because they're they're coming due, they may need a new plan. What should they be looking out for?
0: Awesome, so the first thing we have to think about when evaluating a trucker's insurance program are the stakeholders. So other than yourself, Mr. Entrepreneur, who may or may not be the driver, Who else is involved in financing the equipment you drive and who else is involved in the payments that you are concerned about? You have a factoring company with contractual obligations. So once you've done an audit of all the paperwork you've signed and what requirements you have signed up to be held to, that's that's the perfect starting point to have the conversation with your insurance producer and say, hey, You know, I'm already being held to these standards. Can we make sure at a minimum that I'm compliant with FMCSA based on this? I'm compliant with my lien holder based on that. And we're compliant with my customers based on these certificate requirements. Because what makes a good insurance policy for one customer might not necessarily be the same for another. But those are the three main stakeholders we're concerned with. Financing, federal, government, and customers. And typically in that order.
1: And that's what I'm curious about, because I know the 750 cargo or general, then some people like to get the million. Um, is there specific numbers in terms of what a, uh, a good basic bare bones looks like, like a bobtail cargo tractor? Are there specific um, amounts that we should look at if, let's say, I want to make sure I cover most of my bases for general uh, freight work?
0: A million is a good rule of thumb to go by in the absence of a, of another requirement. Tom, I would always encourage customers to carry a million dollars of bobtail liability non-trucking. It's the most common requirement you're going to see in a least agreement if there's one at all, and it's usually very similarly priced to your state minimum of 300k for non-trucking liability. So better better to be. Uh, Better, better not to be pennywise and pound foolish. There, get bang for your buck, get your million-dollar bobtail policy. But when it comes to your primary liability, you know it's it's a little bit uh, a little bit more gray than all that. Um,
1: and I had one specifically involving trailers and bobtail. Uh, some a lot of brokerages now are doing power only moves. You're picking up another company's trailer. A lot of times, uh, you know, some carriers are not really prepared for the insurance aspect. Is there something I just get that says, hey, if I just have a trailer and it's even if it's somebody else's, I'm I'm pretty much good to go?
0: That is an interesting question.
1: If you're an owner operator and you carry bobtail insurance,
0: nine times out of 10, your motor carrier lease agreement that you signed with your employer is gonna dictate whose insurance policy that's going to fall on. And it's typically gonna fall on the policy that backs that motor carrier authority, which is to say your employer is typically going to be the one that's responsible for the first dollar of coverage. But where it's interesting is after a loss, that contract may spell out that you're supposed to be reimbursing that employer for a deductible. So that can vary by lease agreement. And I would encourage owner operators to really closely examine theirs to make sure they're getting a good deal. Because although they may not be taking you Uh, taking money directly out of your pay for the insurance, uh, they may be taking it from you in the event of a loss.
1: I did not think about that. And a lot of drivers don't understand that with their leasing agreements, they either can't access it or don't see the fine print. I hear about it a lot with maintenance issues, but I don't hear a lot about it with a claim and a deductible. Speaking of that, you had a great point about when we're haggling for insurance. Uh, You can pull up a DOT number and see a lot more. What are some of the things that maybe a driver doesn't know when he's trying to ask for his policy and haggle with with an insurance provider? What are some things you can see on that DOT number?
0: Oh yeah. So when I have your DOT number and you've been active, I can see where you've gotten inspections done. I can see how they went if you passed or did not. I can see what trucks and what trailers you've had inspected and when and in what state and it's in your best interest. Cause you're making a uh, first impression on the producer as much as they are on you. It's in your best interest as a customer to be as forthcoming and transparent with that information as possible, just because they're going to find out anyway.
1: That's what I'm, th- are there any red flags or the common things they try to hide? Cause they don't know that you happen to know pretty much everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, man, all the time. Like I have clients, uh, it may or may not be common knowledge, but I'm happy to spill the beans here with you, that if you have box trucks and box trucks only, your insurance producer is going to classify you differently than if you're also running big trucks or if you're just running uh, pickup trucks, like a hot hotshot based business. So I have clients from time to time approach me with a cargo van or a box truck and they want to visit with me about a quote for their business. And they've got a semi-truck or two in their back pocket that they don't think I know about. And your number of power units is usually reported on your snapshot page on Safer. But also if you've had other units on the road recently and they've been inspected, well, I can see that too. And I'm really confused when you're not forthcoming with me as to what happened to those trucks. So I'm have to ask, were those sold? Were you just leasing those? And... If I hear something that sounds like dishonesty in your answer, it's going to make it difficult for me to call you back before others who are more forthcoming with that kind of information.
1: And looking at green flags, let's say, so we see some red flags with drivers. Now, if I want to pick an insurance provider or partner, what are some good things to look for or some green flags to show that the person I'm making a deal with who's underwriting me uh, will take care of me and maybe not, you know, take advantage or sell me a, a luxurious plan that I may not even need?
0: Well, that's, that's a tough one because I think it's a different answer for everybody. And as, uh, as someone who's made it a point to do the best they can at mastering selling insurance to everyone that they can help, um, I'm here to tell you we all have different buying signals. But what trust sounds like to most of my customers is when they can ask me a question and I can give them a direct answer without an agenda. So uh, ask them about different ways that they can help you save money on the policy And if they don't seem to be doing that, or they seem to be leading you somewhere else, I feel that it's obvious you're dealing with someone who doesn't care about you or the success of your business. You could also listen to the questions they ask, right? Are they asking you questions that open more doors to understanding how your business works? Or are they trying to paint you into a corner so that they can hustle you something? Because if they're not really trying to understand you and why you need what they're trying to put on you, then how can they know what they need to put on you?
1: That's a great point. Final questions here. Got about 30 seconds left. Uh, folks want to reach out and learn more about Cover Wallet or get in contact with you. What's the best way to reach out?
0: Oh, please send me an email. I can be reached at steve.ritzler at aon.com. Our website is www.coverwallet.com. If you'd like to check it out, we have some wonderful articles on there about trucking and starting and scaling a trucking business. And you can apply right online to get a free quote from me and my team.
1: Looking forward to it, Stephen. Some great tips as well. We don't get to hear about this a lot, so this is super valuable. Pleasure getting to talk to you as well and hope to speak again soon. Likewise, Tom. Have a blessed day. Have a good one, sir, as well. That's going to be wrapped wrap for this episode, though. Join us next week again at 1 p.m. We'll do it live right here.